Anesti. Oh, you forgot. <laughs> Alethos. He is risen indeed. I don't have a particularly complex sermon here. I just want to look at that verse 6. He is risen just as he said. So, history records that a man has gone through death and risen the other side of it with his body. He's fixed like death and things that break because he's gone through it. And on the great last day, he says, I'm going to do, it, do that for everybody who follows me. And then I'm going to fix all the trees, and all the seasides, and all the environment and all the animals. They're going to get it too. We're going through death. Now, in one of my books, uh, my friend, he wrote the book, and he was talking about Woody Allen. You heard of Woody Allen? Right, yep. And Woody Allen is famously fearful of death. He says, um, he says I'm not afraid. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And, uh, and then someone asked him once, are you pleased to know you're going to live on in the hearts and minds of all those people that you've touched? And Woody said, I don't want to live on in hearts and minds. I want to live on in my apartment. And I think he's tapping into something that we all long for. We all, I think, would like resurrection. And a Christian wants resurrection with Jesus near them as well because he's our best friend. We all want it, I think. Perhaps you don't want it if you're shattered or you're ill or you've had enough or your friends have passed away and you feel alone. You might think, oh, I'm done with this. Now I just want to go. I'm out of energy. But when life is at its best for all of us, like, and it's full of beauty and light and energy and life and holy joy, I think we would all say, yeah, we'd like resurrection if I could just freeze frame this moment because I get so much joy through my body. Uh, touch, hearing, sight, walks in the countryside, eating nice food, smiling. See, the Bible says even the spirits who are in heaven now, and they've died before the great last day, they are waiting to get their bodies back. They're waiting for Jesus to give them their bodies back. And that is exactly what this day tells us is going to happen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. See, the human body is important to the Christian faith. You read about Jacob and Joseph in the Old Testament. When they die, they say, oh, if I die here in Egypt and you go back to the Promised Land, make sure you take my bones with you. Don't leave them here. I want to go there. I want to go there, take my bones there. Well, why? Because he's going to need them later. And I want to resurrect from this patch of land because that's my favorite bit. It matters. Why do Christians look after hungry people, hurting people? Why do we bother setting up schools, hospitals? Because we care about bodies. And Jesus, in the passage, he makes people touch his body because this isn't a fantasy, floaty, mythical subject. This is real. I'm back with like solid joys now, which I'm going to start offering people. Now, far be it for me to speak against the great theologians Monty Python, but... Uh, they have a line, and it's this. Life is quite absurd, and death's the final word. Well, that isn't true if this is true, because that's not the fate of the Christian, the people of Christ. Death doesn't have the final word, because this passage says we go where he goes, and he's risen with the body. And today we're to worship him for raising 
with his body. Now, none of what I'm saying will make sense to anyone here or at home unless you know the full story. And basically, the full story is this. Let me sum it up. The Bible says there are two people in world history that you need to know about. One of them is called Adam. The other one is called Jesus Christ. Now, most people know the story about Adam. It explains why everything's broken and there's death in the world and trees get mold and our bodies get ravaged with illness and we die. It's all linked to this person called Adam, the story in the Bible, because he turned away from God. He said no to you. And if God is life and you walk away from life, where do you go but death and separation and darkness? And most of us share in Adam's fate in world history. We act like him. We behave like him. It's easy for us to say no to God. So where do we walk? We walk into just lifeless, godless death. We behave like him. Um, very easy for us to say yes to self. My way, not your way. Problem is, his way is life. And so we're in a pickle. Uh, there was a woman on the phone yesterday. She was going, it was in Rolf Park or something. I can't remember where I was. Somewhere. And uh, she was shouting on the phone, I can't stand my husband. He's so selfish. And... Um, you know, I thought, like, tapping on the shoulder and saying, I bet you're a little bit selfish too, mine, aren't you? But, you know, you can't do that kind of thing these days, and Rita was with me, and uh, she'd have told me off. But there's a bit of that in everyone, isn't there? You know what we're like. In fact, I was driving past a church the other day, and a big plaque on the church wall, this is a safe place to be whoever you want to be. I was thinking, ooh, that's a risk. I don't see that message in the Bible. I see in the Bible, be careful about being whoever you want to be and just letting loose, because we're very capable of hurting others, being selfish, and walking very far away from where God wants us to be. And that's like Adam. See the first Adam. In fact, my nine-year-old said to me, but some people, Dad, if they want to be whoever they want to be, they'd buy a lightsaber, and they'd travel around the galaxy chopping people in half. Because some people want to do that if they want to be whoever they want to be. I said, exactly, son. Some people would buy a lightsaber, travel around the galaxy, and chop people in half. That is the biblical summary of Adam. Lightsabers and chopping people down. Um, but then there's another person. He's called the second Adam in the Christian world story. And because the father, he can't stand sin, and he can't let it go because that would make him a corrupt judge, but he loves us as well. He sends someone to come and sort out our problem. Enter what 1 Corinthians calls the second Adam. The one who's going to turn everything upside down and make everything right again and show us how we should be and pull us out of sort of deathly hopelessness into new life. He's just going to go into the very worst of us and pull through and like yank us out as well the other way. And what happens is on Friday... He dies a cursed death, representing everyone who's far from God and saying, get lost you. He just goes there, takes the punishment, all of it, so that we never have to, and then he starts pulling us with new life back to God. It's called the second Adam. And I wonder if there's something about the women, when they go to see him, are they thinking he's like the first one? He's just like the first one. Because I think... On this day, they go to sort of mark an ending with their friend Jesus, but in the end, he's just gone to death like the rest of us. It's hopeless. But 
what happens is they're witnesses to a new beginning. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. They're probably going to just say, oh, that's the end then. There was a violent earthquake. The angel came. The guards were afraid. He said, don't be afraid. He's not here. He, the second Adam, isn't like the rest of you. He is risen. He's fixed things. And he's going to help you get through too. So this is a massive statement today. You don't have to go the way of the first Adam. Godlessness, hopelessness, depression, darkness, grinding life, carrying everything on your own. It doesn't have to have the final word. That stuff ends in death. There's another final word. And it's he is risen. Follow him beyond this pale of tears to a world to come where we will smile with bodies just like his because he's going to fix ours. Smiles that we've never smiled before. That's the final word. Now, I'm a skeptic by nature. I quite enjoy debates and uh, difficult questions. And I uh, encourage all of you to go where the evidence goes with big matters like this one, right? But if, say, um, Chris walks in now and he, he's got a Tesco shopping bag and he opens a bag, he goes, oh, in this bag are the bones of Jesus. They've just found them now. Archaeological data has shown these are the bones of Jesus. Do you know what I do? I'd walk out. This is up. This is done. It's a big hoax. Uh, we're all just hoping for the best, but it's all useless. I would rather live a depressingly short, terminal existence from nowhere, going nowhere, where we make up our own meaning, and than pretend this morning, make-believe hope. If Chris comes in with the bones of Jesus, he's not risen. He's dead. There's his bones. And Paul, in the Bible, does the same thing. You know the people in your family are like, oh, you're going to church this morning, bless you, whatever works for you, whatever works for you, and they ruffle your head. Whatever you like to believe is good for you, love. It's not true, but if it gets you through, the apostle Paul, talking about this story, is like, that's not good enough. No one should just make believe stuff to get us through a difficult day. And he says this, if Christ has not been raised, because Chris just walked in with a Tesco bag and his bones are in it. That bit's not in the, the original text. But if Christ has not been raised, he goes, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. If he's not been raised, your faith in Park End Church this morning is utterly futile. You're still in sin. You're still heading to death. Those that have fallen asleep in Christ already, they're lost and if only for this light we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied if Christ is not risen. But this is why he can go on to say that we're not to be pitied. We're not playing make-believe because he goes, he's risen. And no one's found the Tesco bag, not even Chris, with his bones in it. See, there's loads of evidence for the resurrection, and I'm not going into it today. Where I want to go for the remainder of this, is where I've been already, is addressing Woody's fear. I don't want to just be memories. I want actual bodily joy. I like my apartment. I like company. I like nice food. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, and Paul says, he's raised bodily. That's the angle I want us all to grasp today. Jesus is ridden, risen, and he's got his body with him. So Woody... You can go beyond memories, 
Things are going to be remade, and you're going to get your body back. There's not going to be any cellulitis, no toothache. It's Jesus and His way. It's like, how do we know? Because He's risen. He's the first version of what's coming for everyone. See, the angel didn't say to the ladies, oh, there's the body of Jesus, but His Spirit is going to go on forever, and your spirits are going to go on forever too, and that's our religion, and that's what we're offering. Paul says, no, that is not hopeful enough. You're selling Jesus short. He's risen with His body. And if you want to know what the life will be like beyond this world, it's going to be the very best you've ever imagined, and yet more, but without sin, without harm. Jesus is going to be in the middle. You'll get your body back. There's no illness. There's no hatred. There's no sin. There's no darkness. There's no bullying in the playground. There's nothing that breaks my body down. It's like, well, how do we know? Well, because He's risen. He's the first one. This is solid joys that we are heading to as Christians beyond judgment. Can I put it like this? The universe this morning is very human-centered. Right in the middle of the cosmos is a literal God-man risen. And that changes everything about what's coming for us. The body matters. In the seventh century, this is a true story, King Edwin, who was a pagan king up in Northumbria up there in the northeast, um, Christians came to tell him about the resurrection. They told him that Jesus died and was risen bodily from death. And the pagan king said to them, that is incredible if it's true, because we believe this. And they got his advisor in, and they're in a huge auditorium, and it was dark of winter outside, and they were around the fireplace. And when the advisor went to explain what they believed as pagans, at the same time, a bird flew in one window and went through the building into the warmth and light and back out the other side. And he said, the advisor, that is our view. We come from darkness, we have a brief moment in light and warmth, and then like that bird, we go back into the infinite darkness of nothingness again. No one, he said, can really know what's coming next unless what you say about this man is true. If that's true, everything changes. And he became a Christian. And in Matthew 28, 6, we read, He is risen. Death is dismantled for us. You don't have to postpone it. It's beaten. It won't harm you. It'll be your entry into the world to come. And I close with these thoughts as we come to the communion table. It's interesting that you all walked past a giant torture device this morning. Did you notice that in the porch on the way in? Who does that? We do. And here's why. Let me expressly say what Jesus has risen from and why it matters as we come to the communion table. The cross, according to uh, commentators, was a device at the time, and it was like an advertisement um, or a public announcement that the person on it was the scum of the earth. 
not fit to live, um, more like an insect than a human being. The crucified wretch is pinned up like a specimen, and crosses weren't out of place um, when they're out in the open. Uh, it wasn't for sanitation that they get them outside, it's for maximum public humiliation and exposure. Because the Romans built a culture on honor for them and shame for everyone else. So the cross for them was the most embarrassing and shame-filled torture device for all of the people they thought were beneath them. Weak, outcasts, insects. Now thousands were crucified at the time of Jesus because nothing better conveyed the power of almighty Rome than people hanging on that torture device. It was an ever-present sign that Rome was dominant and powerful and it was futile to resist. Now, every earthly empire has pretty much had their flagship torture device. What they are is all of our nightmares rolled into one symbol, a tangible device of all of our fears and darkness in one place. Perhaps it was the gas chamber for the Nazis, that symbol which struck horror to the people they thought were beneath them. Maybe now it's the nuclear device. Everyone's had one. And it was into that symbol, the very pinnacle of all of our fears, that the Lord Jesus Christ walked into for us, faced it all head on, suffered it, dismantled it, came through it bodily intact. So let me ask you this, what's your enemy's tool looming over you today? What power is around you? causing you to be frightened or afraid. Maybe you're so shattered, you can't even share it with anybody. But the Lord knows it. It's like you've got no strength left. All the symbols of darkness seem to be closing in around me. What is it? You know it. He knows it. Now hear the words. In the midst of the very worst that can surround us, Christos Enesti, he is risen. There is a light in the darkest path. And for anyone who thinks this morning, my very worst fear and enemy has got the better of me, Jesus reminds you this morning, he's dismantled it. It does not have the last word. This is the last word. He is risen. He left the grave behind him. And so will I. Not a myth. Not floaty. Bodily. Back with our loved ones. On the great last day. And so we worship that risen Lord Jesus this morning. In the name of the Father. And the Son. And the Holy Spirit. Amen.